Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. We have Emily Rose from It's Become a Whole Thing. Welcome, Emily. Hi. Hey, Emily. Hey, Margot. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Great. I'm so happy to be here. We're so really excited. excited to have you, and thank you for popping on uh, to talk about reality TV fashion with us, because as Emily pointed out, we realized that our podcast taglines are, like, so similar. I'm surprised this hasn't happened sooner. I know. Well, you know, I've done some reality shows in the past, but it's only as of January 2023 that I started – basically, I switched over the format, because before I just did, like, a whole mix of different topics, but now it really is – TV recaps. Um, and the 2000s, early 2000s reality shows are just near and dear to my heart. Yeah. It's what raised me. Oh, us too. Like this is, I mean, we're both, we were both indoor children and realized like Same. very quickly. We had a lot of cultural, we're very much of the theater dance uh music uh variety, you know. So same, but yeah, not, yeah. it wasn't coordinated enough for dancing, but yes, theater, yes. improv. That sort of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rebel child on my couch. <laughs> so very quickly and probably for you as well, like I real our cultural like touch points of what, you know, intersects with like important moments in our adolescence usually coincide with what was airing on TV or showing in a movie theater or playing in a boom box at any given time. Like there's just uh so much rich a soundtrack, uh, be it white noise from a, a TV or, um, you know, some long forgotten one hit wonder pop song. So I'm sure you can relate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I'm kind of glad I was really raised in like a reality show family. So we all would watch all the shows together from like the first, the very beginning of it onwards. 
I've I've said this before. My mom is the person that got me into reality TV. Like I I watched Real World probably independent from her, but she worked in reality TV casting for a lot of my life. And she is the one that turned me on to The Bachelor. She's the one that turned me on to Real Houses of Orange County. She's the one who <laughs> turned me on to Joe Millionaire. So and even like What Not to Wear, which is one of the um, shows we're going to be talking about today and Fashion Police. I mean, Joan Rivers is like my a comedy idol. And so um, a lot of my reality TV watching has like my mom's memory like wrapped up in there as well because we are big reality TV people as well. I'm so jealous because in my household, it was very much my sister and me and maybe our parents would tune in once in a while, but we're not. Uh, my parents were thought they were above it all. And like, I, you know, it's it's very funny because on, yeah, on the flip side of that, my sister and I both watched reality TV, and uh, I think to this day we both still watch it, and it's uh, it's very interesting. Our parents took the prestige drama route um, much more so, but uh, yeah, TV, I mean, it raised us, and I think what's interesting about today's topic is I, a lot of us had certain rules as to what we wore or didn't wear or certain choices we made style-wise uh, because we had a bunch of talking heads on these shows telling us, you know, what was appropriate and what wasn't. Like, I'd love to know for you all as we're talking about, you know, watching these shows, what was the first, like, fashion style-related reality show you both uh, remember watching? Well, for me, it was, like, a blur of TLC. You know, like, I would just watch whatever was on TLC, and I feel like there was so – it was just, like – um, this mix of like, you know, what not to wear. Um, I remember watching the original Queer Eye. Like, I don't even know if that was on TLC, but it feels like of that genre. Yes. The first mm-hmm. iteration of it. And yeah. I think it was on Bravo because Bravo, before it became what we know it to be now, was like an arts and culture channel, as was TLC was the learning channel before it became Sister Wives in the 90 Day Fiance universe and Seeking Brother Husband, which I do really want to watch. Um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I think, you know, Queer Eye was like supposed to be like cultural and like exposing you to different walks of life. Um, one thing that I found to be so interesting and in rewatching it and also um in reading like some think pieces about the original queer eye is like we're sort of like in a similar place that we were like 20 years ago when it premiered in 2003 about people who don't understand how queer people live their lives how drag queens live their lives so that they're all terrified of it and that queer eye was really just like such an you rewatch the clips and it's so innocent and like it is so you know, not to like sound too like right wingy, but it's like so without political agenda versus like the Queer Eye reboot now. That's not to say that the Queer Eye reboot now is bad or anything like that. It's just that Queer Eye for the Straight Guy in 2003 was really about ma- like having a guy find personal style and like get the job or the girl or the apartment or the roommate or whatever. And it really didn't have a lot to do with like, well, why don't you like gay people? It wasn't really about that. It was like a driving loafer is a must have in your closet unless you're, you're a loser. And like, so it's more like, It was more about that than it was anything else. And I kind of like it's that first wave of reality TV where people didn't realize that they were on TV. So they didn't know that to cultivate a personal brand or had to be conscious of like sponsors and all that kind of stuff. And it was just a little bit more pure. Yeah, it was like of the Ellen slash like Will and Grace variety of like diversity, quote unquote, you know, it was like very right. safe, very safe for like middle America and like cable. Um, and and yeah, and, and I mean, a, a show like Queer Eye now, 
would have <laughs> would have never aired like you know when they when they addressed cops and how they treat black people like that <laughs> that wasn't on anyone's radar at least no. in a mainstream way at that time well i think one of the interesting things is i remember early on when netflix was promoting the reboot of queer eye they talked about you know how what separates the original show from the reboot and i remember there was something along the lines of like the first show was just about like tolerance and then this show is much more about acceptance and just kind of the sense of like introducing people uh, to, you know, gay culture a little bit, like bits and pieces of it. And to your point, but it mostly focusing on the style of it all, the, you know, make your home nice of it all. I think that this the reboot brought in a lot of political um, angles to it, but also um kind of brought in this idea of like having conversations where some of the areas they go to are more conservative and they have to have conversations about uh, how these people have never met a gay person before, which was maybe part of it in the original run, but definitely such a small aspect of it all. I think in the original run, they were kind of more focused on like, we're just guys, right? Because like, I think the one thing that I, what really struck me about the original Queer Eye is that like, queer community is uh much more like in conversation with each other versus like cis straight guys right they're like very like they have four friends that they talk to twice a year and see maybe a little bit more than that like it it was more about like providing like a camaraderie and like for lack of a better term like building a community and just showing that like just because i like to suck dick doesn't mean that like we can't be friends like it doesn't like i'm not going to convert you but this is to your point Emily B, that it was more about like tolerance versus acceptance. But I also think contemporarily a show that does it a little bit better than Queer Eye is We Are Here and it stars Shangela, Eureka, and um, oh my God, and Bob the Drag Queen on its own HBO show. And it's a, they go to like a small conservative town and they meet another queer person and they help them kind of like come into their power. And in the process, they don't always win over hearts and minds or like change anybody's perspective, but they it's like exposure therapy. They're there to be like, yes, we are here and there's nothing that you can say or do that's going to like tamp this down. We've been here forever. And I kind of appreciate we're here has a little bit a, less of like a preachy message, which I don't think that Queer Eye even has that. But, you know, like every like every reality show, that's like an ensemble of like a team of people. There's always someone that's like actually doing the work and then someone who's just like filling air. And like to that end, I have always loved. I obviously, I obviously love Bobby because he's the one that does all the work on the current one. But I also <laughs> loved Ted because he was also the one that like did work. And like then after that, always comes like the funny one, right? So Carson, who is still like a staple, as is Ted, who hosts Chopped, which is like a show that's been going on for one million years in in addition to all of its other iterations. But uh, Carson and Ted are still like working. And Tom Felicia was just on a celebrity drag race. But I just I love that they <laughs> managed in the reboot to keep like what we really liked about it, which is like. There's Karamo who like just talks a lot. And then there's like Bobby who's going to like actually do work on your house and like make it be different. And it was the same thing in the original. So I think out of all the reboots we've had, Queer Eye is probably one of the best, most faithful ones because you have to update it a little bit for like the times, right? And make it less shallow. No, for sure. Um, Emily, I'd love to know uh, for you, you know, so you're talking about original TLC shows. Um, I always, you know, you, as we talked about earlier, you are our second Canadian guest to be on our show. We're very excited about that. I'd love to know if there are any Canadian shows that uh, never made their way stateside or that you know of um, that we are missing in the mix of the fashion reality shows. Um, well, okay. So I'm from Quebec 
I, I was saying to this off mic, um, but before we were recording, I speak French, but it's not my first language. It was it wasn't yeah. the language spoken in my home, and so I actually didn't watch that like barely at all any French TV which I'm I feel kind of like I should have at the time and then I was asking about shows to watch for my podcast and someone from Quebec was like you should watch some of the trashy Quebecois shows they're amazing like so bad they're good kind of thing yeah and so I want to get into it um but for me there was it was basically the same shows but they had translated french titles that were sometimes hilarious oh, yes. so like so um the simple life was pauvre fille which literally <laughs> like translates to like poor, like oh, oh we both speak french so it, you can totally yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah for anyone for any <laughs> listeners who don't speak french it, like, yes, that's it true. translates that's true. to like poor oh poor girls but also like girls that are poor like it just it's right like, like pov- yeah. is like poverty like girls from poverty which like yeah. could not be further from the yeah. truth for Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton <laughs> but it also yeah exactly but it also like means like oh poor girl so it's just yeah the titles like that that were hilarious translations That's um yeah. so funny and you bring up a point that we should also remind our stateside viewers which or stateside listeners not viewers that um in Canada by law you have to have everything in French and English so as to say like if you're gonna generally right correct Correct me if I'm wrong, Emily. I don't I mean, I actually don't know because because I'm from so where I'm from, it's like um it can be a little hostile if you aren't just in French all the time. Yeah. It's gotten a little better recently, but when I was growing up, it was like tense. Like you had to be basically all French. And then the rest of Canada, it's a bit more symbolic. It's like, yes. yeah, everything's French and English, but it's more like government things yes. and everything else is just English. That, that makes sense. Yeah. And so in Quebec, you you would have to have like French subtitles if you're going to air an English show or. Um, yeah. You'd have to sense. show you'd, ha- you'd have that show dubbed over in Quebec French with <laughs> with <laughs> varying degrees of um, hilarious translations. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so we've talked about some of our favorites in the mix. Were there any shows that you guys weren't fans of? You just never it never clicked with you, or is there like something that you watched uh, that you just weren't? Yeah, just wasn't a, a thing for you. Um, I was like, I was never a very discerning critic. Like, I I'm still not when it comes to reality TV. I I loved it all, and at this point, there's so much reality TV that by nature there's going to be some that I I don't like. But generally, I'm pre like. I'm just here for unscripted TV. And then when it comes to sitting me down and like trying to get through a drama, it's like pulling teeth. So yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I just I, I watched it all. I think there was like a there wasn't anything like it. And I, I it used to be style stuff was just regulated to magazines. And so, of course, I was very into all of like the teen, the teen iterations of like the bigger magazines. But that doesn't really help you kind of find your personal style, especially Mm -hmm. when you don't have thousands of dollars to be spending. So that's why like what not to wear and especially fashion police. I wouldn't say that they like I ever necessarily followed their rules, even though I definitely owned so many ugly pointy shoes and so many just like bell bottom boot cut jeans because it does make your leg look long, but it's not for me. Like it looks, it looks, I don't like it. It's not for me. And I don't like a low slung belt. Like there's lots of stuff I don't like, but I think that what what not to wear and fashion police really gave people if you were into style and you wanted to help develop your own personal style were sort of like the basics like the foundation essentially like Mm -hmm. therapy it's like now I have the tools to not 
be a bitch to people so I can now, you know, self-regulate. And I feel like that's sort of what, especially fashion places, like my first exposure to critiquing or giving like in-depth thought to what people wear. And sure, of course, like we can quibble with like, oh, Joan Rivers wasn't always nice. That That's her fucking comedy. Like that mm. is just her brand, right? And I do miss people being a little mean on the red carpet because ever since she passed away, there is a giant Joan size hole on the red carpet. Everybody is so beholden to fashion houses, to sponsors, yes. to whatever, that no one can really give their honest opinion the way that she should. And I feel like Fashion Police taught me one of the best rules you could ever know, which is it doesn't matter like shape, size, whatever like get your shit tailored make sure you feel good in it make sure it, yes. like, it fits well like it's not about like people that want to critique like an example in one of the pieces that we read was like oh like Lizzo was on the red carpet wearing I believe like Gucci or something or maybe something maybe Versace but it looked like people were like, oh, it looks like a trash bag. I'm like, it does not look like a trash bag. If you have a critical eye, you can see that her waist is cinched. It fits her perfectly. It's supposed to be taking up space. Just because yeah. it's black and voluminous doesn't mean that it looks like a trash bag. And I feel like Fashion Police gave me like the language to speak about fashion and how I wanted to express myself and what not the what not to wear gave me kind of like the tools to figure out how I was going to get there. And like all creatives like you learn the rules and then you break them and you find your own style and I think the one thing um that is sort of missing now is like people can't help but take it so personally if you're like oh that shirt doesn't fit you they're like oh are you calling me are you saying that I'm out of shape or are you trying to say something it's like no it's just like it just doesn't fit and so now everybody's yeah. too scared to say anything so now we get interviews on the red carpet like Ashley Graham and Hugh Grant who are both bad like that was a situation where like he was a dick but she doesn't know how to interview and now we're both having a, a parallel conversation about nothing and it's bad well, I've, I, I mean, I have lots. I, yeah, I, I'm uh, nodding along with all of it. Like, I miss Fashion Police, and I agree. Like, I miss that kind of like me, mean spirited humor that people like Joan Rivers do really well because there is a difference between her cracking hilarious jokes and then Julia Rancic being like, "Oh, Zendaya like looks like she smells like weed because she's wearing dreadlocks." Like, there, there's a, there's a difference, and you know, you we need our Joan Rivers. Like, and we can throw out the, like, those types of comments, you know? Yeah, we've moved away from asking people who they're wearing, which, like, I understand, like, ask her more, et cetera. But also, if we're doing red carpet fashion coverage, like, it's literally part of your job. Like, a designer is wanting you to say their name. And I feel like Joan did a really great job of asking that question in a funny and clever way instead of who you're wearing. Like, yeah, well, she'll like, crack a joke and then be like, but really, like, who is this? Yeah, like... It it, there is a funny way to do it. And like for me, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I say all the time on TikTok, like I'm very unqualified to talk about fashion, but I have opinions. So I'm just going to say them. But, you know, I, I preface it with that. So people are like, who are you? I'm like, I already, I told you, I'm just, I'm just chit chatting. Okay. It's not yeah. that serious. And I made a comment about how Harry Styles to the Grammys red carpet, he basically wore the same kind of outfit he'd been wearing on stage every night. Yeah, like the sparkly jumpsuit. People got so mad. Like they were saying, like, "Oh, I was being homophobic," and I'm like, "I said, no, judge it up more. Give me some, like, give me a yes. down, like something." We, we yes, I am so glad you're saying this because I think this is exactly to your point, Margot. Um, I think that we have not. There's a difference. People are so afraid of hurting someone's feelings or um, misconstrue comments and are immediate to uh, ju jump to a conclusion that if someone says something, then it must be homophobic or it must be this or it must be that. But when it comes to critiquing fashion and we're just talking about someone's outfit, people are generally allowed to have 
genuinely allowed to have an opinion and that's okay. And, and it's also your, you know, again, to Margo, your point, like we're able to critique before someone just like for something to not look well styled or well structured or something like that. And it has nothing to do with a person's body type. It has nothing to do with a person's age. It has nothing to do with a person and their talent or whatever. People cannot can be styled well and then people can be styled poorly. And that's a perfectly acceptable thing to have. Um, and it's interesting because the points that you both brought up actually have been coming up in a lot of recent publications because of what the coverage has looked like for award shows and what people are wearing on the red carpet. And it was like the taglines were so funny. These leads were just like, will it ever be okay to have fun critiquing fashion again, basically? That and no. it was it so <laughs> yeah. resonates with me. It's so true. It's like I can't get a real critique on like whether or not this is like a, a, a structurally sound garment or if like the head styling, like the makeup and the hair and the jewelry is actually what should be going with this dress. I'd say the closest I've gotten to it was at the Oscars. Christian Siriano was across the street, like not on the red carpet, giving commentary. And it was the most prescient commentary I've heard in such a long time where he was like, oh, it's like the ruching on this is like too tight and it should be let out a little bit or like they really need to stone more to like have a bigger impact like things that he's a, a fashion like he makes incredible clothing like that man never misses I think that his opinion is extremely valuable and he is his own designer his own label so he's not like beholden to like Louis Vuitton or whatever but like yeah I was reading that like some of the best some of the only commentary you can sometimes get on fashion nowadays is like on TikTok and and that's kind of it everybody else is just like it's very like beautiful gowns gorgeous gowns yeah, and even on TikTok, everyone yells at you, like, uh, and I'm like, what do you guys want? Do you guys want us to have no personality and it just be across the board, this E! News <laughs> smiley well, face commentary? Yeah, I think that's also, like, a broader conversation about how everybody's starting to look like Instagram face kind of, yes, you know, but we don't need to go there. But I, I feel like critiquing fashion is also a way, and that's what Fashion Police did so well, is a, is a great way to learn about style and how to develop your own sense of style. Because now the only outlets that I can count on to give me, like, good advice or like an idea of how to style things are Tom and Lorenzo and the Fug Girls because they don't have corporate sponsors. And so they aren't feeling obligated to please anybody. It is interesting how that market kind of shifted. And I think um, as we like are looking back, it is it's interesting to see that, yeah, the pendulum, the pendulum swung from being I think to your point, there was fashion police that offered really valid criticism and would poke fun at things, but was never trying to be malicious about a person's body type or whatever, but other shows would be. And some sometimes like what not to wear would tread into that line, I think, or at least it would imply a lot of rules on someone just because they looked a certain way and weren't a certain size. But I think then now the pendulum swung to the complete opposite, where it's just like, Everyone can wear everything and we need to be uh, neutral about, you know, what we wear, which is to an extent true. Like everyone should be able to wear everything. But I think that we we can have this conversation about fit and how does something fit on someone and does it fit well and it not have anything to do with like this. is It's not necessarily too loose or too tight because we to your point. Just because someone is not a straight size does not mean that they shouldn't take up space with what they wear. Like people should be able to do that regardless. You shouldn't be beholden to a, a certain um, line per se. 
but we can talk about uh, stitching. We can talk about fabric. And I think to your point, Christian Siriano is one of the most interesting people to talk about this because everything he's going to say is pretty objective. I mean, nothing is 100% objective when you're critiquing things. There is some subjectivity. But he ends up being one of the most interesting voices in fashion right now because – and I found on TikTok, again, this discourse came out of a video I watched once where someone said he got to the point of being in a, a known couture designer at a much younger age than most couture houses. And that is because he made clothes for people that could not get couture um, because they weren't a certain size. Well, I was just saying, to bring it full circle, like it's funny that we're talking about him on this episode about fashion reality shows because I remember him on Project Runway. Yes. How he got his start. So it's, he's definitely the most successful person to come out of that show. But it's funny that that's the world he comes from. And now he's like running the game, basically. Yes. I mean, one of the best red carpet looks I've seen in the last like 10 years was a dress that Kristen Siriano made for Nicole Byer, who is not a straight size, but it's like this gorgeous, purple, ruffly, flowy, 70s inspired gown. And that's definitely like an example of anywhere can anyone can wear anything. But Nicole Byer is like a perfect example of somebody that has incredible personal style and she wears whatever she wants. And I think it's like about fit. It's about confidence. It's about being unapologetic in what you're wearing. But um, yeah, Christian Siriano, it's interesting that his background is reality TV and yet he has uh, ascended to fashion planes that have not been reached by kind of anybody else. I mean, maybe Tim Gunn, but he doesn't really do commentary like that. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim Gunn is just by nature, he's a bit, he's a bit more, I don't know. He's just, he's polite. Like he kind of fills out his own niche. It's sort of like comforting, um, he's like pretty warm, buttoned up. <laughs> warm advice. Yeah. But he is just like, you know, I don't think it's for the cameras. I think that just is his personality. Whereas Christian Siriano is messy, but he's so powerful <laughs> that he kind of can get away with it. He likes to like, yeah, spill, spill things here and there. But I will say that what not to wear, <laughs> I would say the worst part of that show is that you would find out pretty quickly what your friends actually think of you if you got nominated to be on that show. I think that was oh like the God. worst part. Because I, I do I think that mental breakdown. Yeah, I think that the best part of the show were definitely the hosts. Like I think that Clinton Kelly and um Stacy were like were the best parts because they they did say things that were maybe not always like the nicest and like they definitely tried to put people in boxes that were like determined by like their age and their gender and their shape or whatever but I don't think that they ever did it in like a malicious make fun way I'm sure they make comments that you're like wow I don't really know if people would call someone a slut to their face like that about wearing a short skirt anymore but there was something about them that's like not offensive I don't know there was something about them that there was like a little bit of a warmth where I think that they were able to get away with it and if it was two other hosts like I don't think that Joan Rivers could do Clinton Kelly's job I guess is like a better way of putting it I think that maybe one of the queer eye guys could maybe swing in there but I also think that like they just they pitched the ball kind of perfectly but I, I still can't get over the horror of that show of like all of this like it's it's my worst fear people just like filming you and you don't know to be like god look at that ugly ass outfit that she's wearing like she's never gonna get a job or she's never gonna get a man or she's never gonna get that promotion and Mm -hmm. sometimes i think the one of the biggest shortcomings of what not to wear that i think that other fashion shows have picked up quite well is that yes a makeover is fun a whole new wardrobe is great getting your haircut dyed is like incredible whatever it's the fantasy right like it's very um pretty woman shopping spree but i think what's more realistic is 
working with the person's wardrobe and then incorporating new stuff and showing them how to blend. Because that's really what style and fashion is, right? It's like blending the stuff that you currently have with like stuff that's on trend. And I think Mm -hmm. what not to wear if they were to ever reboot it, that would be like the best part of like helping people develop their own personal style would be to show them you can make anything work in your closet and you shouldn't always be super fashion forward because God, looking back at some of the clothes that they picked out for people, you're like, what? (laughs) This girl said that she likes shift dresses. And so you put her in some like weird (laughs) baby doll dress that has like a wood motif where like the top is like wood and then it's like a forest on like her chest. And then the, the bottom is lined with wood. You're like, this is the most ugly fucking dress I've ever seen in my life. But there must be a way where you can find a middle ground. But of course, you know, for reality TV purposes, it's much more exciting and entertaining if it's like this extreme, right? We're like, we're going to burn your closet down. We're going to chop off all your hair. You're going to be a totally different person by the end of this. Because that's just unsustainable. Just like people that, you know, other makeover shows like The Swan. It's like, it's unsustainable. There's no way that you're going to like keep this up. You don't have the money or the time. Yeah, I mean, well, like now, uh, you know, the modern makeover shows do work with the wardrobe, thankfully, like tan on Queer Eye, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he's, they're very good at acknowledging like people's comfort levels and like putting it within the realm of like what their style is. Um, but Marco, it's funny, like before you were talking about like some positives that you got out of what not to wear. And I'm like, wow, like for me, it was pure just body body dysmorphia and paranoia about being filmed like that was all that was all I got out of it and I didn't like everyone's it felt like it, they came out of it dressed like little business people like all the <laughs> women like they'd be yes. like I wear pajamas all the time they put yes. them in a little suit and it was like what or like a fancy dress and it was like yes who is, <laughs> who is this for the stronghold business casual had on our wardrobes, especially on these shows. Like I'm thinking even in the early 2000s, for some reason, like we, even teenagers, we would wear stuff that was like, like slightly business casual around like the turn of like the 2000s. So like a lavender button down with like yeah. a knee length skirt for a band concert. Like it's yeah. very... It's so funny that <laughs> that was what was and and what not to wear. Um, even if some you know these outfits would be put together, they were very business casual. Like they expected someone to constantly be wearing a fucking blazer and a boot cut jean when they're going out anywhere to like just run an errand. And it's such a it's a pre athleisure show for sure. But it is interest, and that's a whole other factor of things that we 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 can add to the mix in this conversation. But it's also like very interesting that uh, that was you know kind of. Always the the scenarios they had people in was like, yeah, when you're just running errands or going grocery shopping or just like pop a blazer the, on, just <laughs> pop a blazer on, like have a little saddlebag. Like it's just it's so funny that we thought and like or have this like, you know, knee length skirt because it was always a right above the knee, right above the knee is always the most flattering or just like a slightly uh, boot cut jean. Like, it's so funny, though, that we always gravitated on those shows to that formula. And, and, um, yeah, and don't forget just, pointy shoes. They, a pointy I don't know. Oh, they did. Yes. They I don't know if they were employed by big pointy date. shoe or something, but mm-hmm. like pointy shoes. I, I'm telling you, I had so many pointed flats as yes. a high school oh. junior or whatever. Yes. I mean, I'm just chuckling at the idea. I'm when you're like, everybody had to wear blazers. Like, yeah, I had like business slut blazers, like in high school, like they were like little crop, super tight blazers from like forever 21 that I'd wear with my little pencil skirt. And I had no business dressing like a secretary th- extra from Mad Men. Like, I don't understand why that happened, but 
yeah we are. And, and like blazers are back now but it's like you wear it with like a t-shirt and like baggy pants like it's not like yes then the pencil skirt also and like a little <laughs> b- a collared shirt and like a statement necklace you know that was what re- it like it was oh the, the statement whole- necklaces emily they were so upsetting you could see them from the moon they're huge yeah yeah I, oh. I don't know if either of you own this is an early 2010s necklace do you guys remember the bubble necklace there was a necklace that J. Crew made, and there were knockoffs everywhere. And it was these giant baubles. And they were like in this arranged. Emily, I see you nodding. I layered them. I layered Me them. Too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had too. I had a school uniform in high school. So I that was all I had were Oh, I had a school dresses. uniform as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Okay. There's like a correlate. It's like a pipeline. You know, like <laughs> I know. This is the only thing you had, because like I had a, a dress code and therefore I um I had to accessorize. And so whatever the accessory of du jour was, uh, I was going to be wearing it. So I had a lot of rubber bracelets at one point because those yes. made a comeback. And then you would like tie two of them together. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, I did so many like I had these weird bracelets that I think I bought one from like Claire's and it had like pictures on them. It was almost like a charm bracelet, but not quite. But, but you'd collect them. You'd collect yes. the little square. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just there was a time in which – you, uh, because of the uniform, like this was the only way I could show a personality was through an accessory because only, you know, two out of seven days did I get to wear what I wanted to wear. Um, and I don't know if you experienced this, Emily, but like when I turned 18, I went to, to university. I, oh, you might have done Seja, but like uh, 18, 19, <laughs> going to university, like you uh, are experimenting for the first time in wearing your kind of, for me, it was the first time I was really finding my own style because apart from the summer where I wore sweatpants and shorts everywhere and like on the weekends, I had a few things like, yeah, I was experimenting for the first time, really. Uh, you know what? It's funny because like for me, it happened like in my 30s. I feel like at my whole 20s, I was making almost this point of like pick me girl style. Like I like radically didn't care about any of that stuff quote unquote I mean you always care to a certain extent so I'd be like I'll just wear whatever you know and 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 I really did just wear (laughs) wear whatever it was like you know um really made a point of it and then during the pandemic I just started reevaluating all that and like I really wanted to just like have fun with like clothes and figure out makeup and I just so happened also during that time to start dating my boyfriend who I'm with now who his biggest interest is fashion but He's always like talking about like how women are like brainwashed into thinking like tight equals fashion. And he's like, sometimes like get the XXL. It's both more stylish and you're comfortable. And I'm like, I am like unraveling the 2000s still. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I've always been into 
style and fashion, I think it starts with my mom, who is like an incredibly stylish person, always has been, have always stolen stuff from her closet. And one of my childhood best friends, that's basically like my sister. She's also always been into fashion and style and was briefly a stylist. And um, I always have tried to emulate their style. And they're the two people that I watched what not to wear the most frequently. And, you know, being my mom, being an only child and being like my mom's doll in some way, like she always enjoyed dressing me up. So I always would take her advice. And I went to public school. So I having style is like kind of like the only thing you have. And it's sort of like what sets you apart. And so I went through so many phases. Like I had a Roxy phase where I wore exclusively like Roxy Billabong and knockoffs of it. Uh, knockoffs because I did not grow up very rich. So like had to go to like Ross and TJ Maxx. Like there's that episode of uh, Atlanta. (laughs) That's a flashback where he's like shopping at TJ Maxx and his mom buys him like a knockoff, like fat, fat farm t-shirt. And I was like, been there, buddy. Know what that's like. (laughs) And then at some point, like in high school, like I had, you know, I had like a goth phase into a punk phase. And then like some point around like junior, senior year, I was like, well, I want to get a job. I got to go to college. So I started to dress a little bit like what not to wear with like, uh, there's a picture of me that Emily off to send you where I have like a pencil skirt, like a really cute little tight cardigan shirt and like a little blazer on top. And I was like, wow, that's what I thought was stylish. But that's also like the beginning of there was this incredible thrift store in Burbank called American Way. And I would shop a lot at American Way and would steal things from my mom and would get things from Forever 21. And that's kind of like how I started experimenting. And I that's what I still do to this day. And so I, I have always used fashion as like a way to express myself, mostly also because I'm terrible at doing my makeup. So I try to make up with it by being fashionable or at least to my to, to the best of my ability. And I would also say a huge influence, Olsen Twins always have been coveting their looks like taught me that I could wear an oversized shirt and like you know baggier pants and still make it stylish I don't have it doesn't have to look like I'm swimming in it it's all about how like your proportions as well that's another big uh, fashion police thing is like proportions and tailoring and really fashion police is like what inspired me to tailor my jeans and tailor my pants so they don't drag and like look dirty and disgusting and like that really changed my life and like the way that I perceive myself when I'm out in the world as well Oh, you're way ahead of the game. I'm like figuring this out <laughs> like recently, like the last two or three years. It's been very exciting. It's been an interesting journey to go on in my 30s, but I'm like, I'm I'm here for it. But yeah, you, t- you tailor things. It makes a big difference. Or what I'm learning often is that, yeah, I didn't realize that I'm still in the like what not to wear um, phase of things where there really wasn't room for anything alternative or baggy or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all uncomfortable clothes. So I'm like, oh. Um, it's like only just clicking that I'm like fashion does not also mean being uncomfortable like a yes. chunky belt. Yes. Oh my god, I'm so, <laughs> so glad. Oh god. So just oh, I was just gonna say so many times we to your to your boyfriend's point, Emily. Like we've been brainwashed into thinking that like fashionable is like it pain, like because beauty is pain, right? So like yes. I have to be in the most uncomfortable, tightest jeans, like pinchy shoes, and if I just breathe through it long enough, like someone's gonna think that I'm doing something. But I think the trends now are so much more approachable, like playing with patterns and bright colors and color blocking. I really love where fashion's at and like seventy inspired, seventies inspired stuff. Sorry, Emily, go ahead. Yeah. 
Oh, actually, yeah. I'm, I feel like <laughs> I don't want to misrepresent him. I feel he, he wasn't saying that like women are brainwashed. Like he was no, no. But I understand his, of, his like, general pressure. meaning of like we have to unlearn certain rules, mm-hmm. right? That we were ta- like there's still like the I wouldn't say body dysmorphia, but like brain dysmorphia of like the t- the early 2000s. If you were a woman that grew up during that time, I mean the I I'm so triggered by like the reverse to thinness now that it's like you know there's no more body acceptance it doesn't feel like it feels like we're sliding backwards a little with what everything saying? with, with the everything. dragon but yeah. you know at, yeah like everything. we're backsliding i feel like we're- five years ago we were doing better as a mm-hmm. society with with this type of stuff i the other thing i was thinking so politics this is a great segue because i was thinking about this as you both were talking there's two things that come to mind for me um one uh because we're good. I want to segue into this, like how these things have changed over time. So two things come come to mind for me. One, um, a lot of the shows that we're talking about from the early 2000s are so driven by the political landscape of that era, not just in the fact of like queer being some of the first representation of LGBTQ people on TV, but also in the sense of like what women are supposed to do, where, what have you. I feel like there's so much of that time. And I would say this both in the US and Canada in that time being like a bit more conservative and from a politics standpoint, there's a lot going on that just like resonates in the sense of like, you know, women had to kind of, you know, there were tips on how to look great and and do something with your wardrobe. But at the same time, there's certain rules that you have to follow. And there's a certain male gaze to it all, right? Like, no matter how hard we try, no matter the fact that What Not Aware was hosted by a, well, now we know a, um, a bisexual woman and a gay man, uh, ultimately, a lot of the outfits that they were pulling together were very still had a tinge of male gaze tied to them in terms of how they fit and how a person is supposed to look depending on their height, weight, what have you, or body type. Um, so and age. Me, they did a lot of age. like, oh, no oh, mini skirts after 35. I'm exactly. 35. You're I'm 35. A, I'm wearing a mini skirt. I don't care what you have to say. Sure. And like, this is, <laughs> but it's such an interesting, like, we, we have changed so much how we feel about dressing people, and I'm going to say in particular non-male bodies, of um, a certain weight, a certain height, and a certain age. I think a lot of these parameters change so much because uh, well, even though people were living longer lives by the time the early 2000s roll around, we're in this world where the age except expectancy had drastically gr- like grown, but the style and the the politics around gender politics around it and fashion style politics around it had not adapted to that new lifespan of ch- the fact that like women do not retire necessarily in their 50s anymore or they go and work. Most of them do now. And like you also uh, continue to live a life and the way we age now as a society is very different. Like, you know, um, the and just like that of it all is great example like they the cast of the golden girls and the cast of and just like that the sex in the city reboot are the same age when they aired and yet they look completely different part of that's hairstyle part of that's outfit choices and everything but it's so fascinating to see that 40 years difference pretty much or 35 years made such a huge change in how these women of a certain age were portrayed and i think that reflects very well into those reality shows and how when people in particular women uh, were critiqued on how they wore what, what they wore at certain points. I mean, again, the show, even, even though it had a lot of positive to it, 
even the name of it itself was what not to wear because there is this implication that you're not supposed to wear certain things in general, but also especially if you fall into a bucket. And I will end my rant at that point, but I'd love to hear what you guys have thoughts-wise well, on well, that. Yeah, because you're so right. Like it was the emphasis was on the negative, like the title captured it well, because the whole point of it was to see them throwing those the clothes into that trash can, that aluminum trash can they'd have. Yes. Um, and the 360 mirror. Like, I was like don't was forget the, the traumatic mirror oh, part of it. No, of course. Like it was almost like their outfits at the end was like an additional little bonus, but it was like the crescendo was the 360 mirror when they'd be like la- like laughing at them and staring at themselves <laughs> in those bright lights well they want to really emphasize like look how ridiculous you look like yeah. can you believe but i also you know you know not to how would defend- you not how would you not float out of your body like in wearing even your most favorite outfit that like is vouched for like quote unquote fashionable you'd still be standing in that mirror and having someone like making their little commentary <laughs> Look, if I had to stand in like some of the stuff I wore in college, like my little culottes and like <laughs> like a flowy blouse, like, yeah, I'd be fucking mortified instead of like privately looking at photos and be like, wow, I can't believe people let me leave the house looking like that. But thank God nobody was mean to me. But I think that to defend what not to wear a little bit, I think that some of it, though, is like self-preservation, like the way that they tried to fit people into certain boxes, like... <sighs> I don't really want to bring the tone down a little bit, but like I stopped wearing shorter skirts and dresses for a little while after I was um, assaulted once, like as somebody reached their hand up my skirt uh, at a BART station um, in a crowd and I didn't know who it was. And so I, I look back on what not to wear and them being like, you are too old to be wearing mini skirts. Like there, I think some of it, like it comes across as like shamey and mean, but I think some of it is like a little bit of like you don't want to put out the wrong message, which is not great. Yeah. Look, like I went to an assembly in high school where we were slut shamed for 45 minutes about wearing spaghetti straps. So like, I understand, I'm not trying to say that, but like, I think that especially coming from like Stacy's perspective, I'm sure that she has had to endure things based yes. on how she dresses. And I think that they were trying, they towed that line a little bit, but it always ends up being male gazy because if you can't dress the way that you want, because you're scared that you're going to attract the wrong attention, like that the wrong attention is always going to be the male gaze. It's not like, oh, some like woman's going to tell you like a slut on the subway or something. Like it's not that that you're trying to protect yourself from. Yeah. I mean, well, Stacy herself, like I don't know if you guys have kept up with her since the show, but she yes. is, like has liberated herself. Like she's basically like on this healing journey from who she was on the show yes. and like distancing herself from that and like wearing these like whimsical outfits. But Stacey also made it cool to have a gray streak. Like, Stacey made a lot of things seem very cool. And she was always very outspoken and unapologetic. And even though I know she's trying to put space between her and the show, and I know that, like, Clinton Kelly, like, barely even acknowledges it anymore. The resounding stuff that I read was that, like, people, despite what it might have looked like on the outside to the viewer, because at the end of the day, we have to remember it's, like, a television program and these people are being produced, that, like, people that they called like not their clients participants or something they like gave Mm -hmm. them and participant I think is a generous term for like being watched by your friends and then being submitted to a fashion show for having terrible terrible taste is a whole other thing but the contestants or participants or whatever had generally good things to say about Stacey and Clinton and really emphasized how them and even like some producers really despite what maybe made the final cut didn't feel like forced or pressured or made to feel bad which I think is the most important takeaway is like how did the person end up really feeling in the end I think that's a 
great point because um, there was, I remember, because what not to wear, it's so many episodes. There was a behind the scenes episode. So you got to learn a little bit more about how things went. I remember this episode. Like I learned, for example, the trash can, they would actually donate those close to charity. So um, they wouldn't, you know, just burn them somewhere in a corner in the TLC <laughs> warehouse, you know, lot. Like they were actually given to charity. And I think there was a lot to your point. There's a difference between, um, you know, what, what makes it to air and what happened behind the scenes and, um, you know, what makes for good television are going to be some sassy one-liners and, uh, that's going to keep people watching. And I think, um, I think that this is where like queer, the Queer Eye reboot does a great job because they've maintained some of those like sassy one-liners that are still like very funny and they have fun. But I think the, the, the talk track has evolved not just in the sense of how we see LGBTQ people and the issues they cover on the show, but also just how they refer to the contestants. They make sure that the well, people who speak they're on not their the, behalf. They're not the butt of the joke. That's yes. not the but they were the butt of the joke on all of those shows before. That's, and now yes. they're making jokes, but it's not it's like with the participants. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Agreed. It's not I very interestingly, one thing that I just thought was um on the new queer on Netflix you never make they almost never make the people try on their current ro- wardrobe when there's something they don't like in the wardrobe that they think is funny they almost never make them try it on they will put it on maybe tan will put it on or like antony will put it on and they'll have fun with it but like a cowboy hat or whatever that may be but they never make the contestant put it on whereas what not to wear you were talking about the 360 earlier, they would ask them to put together these outfits and then bit by bit tell them why this doesn't work. So to me, it is very interesting that they have taken that out and no longer is the person the butt of the joke, but it might be the item the item of clothing, but it is not physically on that person at that point. Queer Eyes does still maintain, though, or the current one, does kind of what I liked a little. I know it sounds bad, but like what they did on What Not to Wear is like when they put on this outfit and they told them why it doesn't work. They still keep that part on Queer Eye where they're like, this shirt doesn't work without ha- without having them wear it. It's like, right. this doesn't work because yes. of yes. X, Y, Z. And it yes. wasn't, it's not in a shamey way. It's more of like in a develop your personal style way. And what I also really like what they do and maybe they did a little bit of this on what not to wear, but whenever they were picking apart their current wardrobe, they always asked like, why did you hang on to this? Because I think that one thing that what not to wear did really well, that queer, I kind of picked the ball up and like has progressed in a positive way is that, yes, we have a lot of emotions tied up in our clothes and a lot of yes. memories, like just like a song, you can like look at a shirt and be like, Oh, I remember when I bought that at urban outfitters and I was 20 and I, I, I cobbled together all of the money that I had so I could buy this shirt. So I could go to an interview and I think, think that what not to wear was really good about tapping in and I think that's probably what made it so successful was like tapping into the emotional side of getting dressed of developing your style of shopping of also purging your clothes as well Mm -hmm. yeah oh my god yeah and and they're just they're respectful of like your your where you're at on your journey your attachment to your clothes people's image of themselves like you know, a lot of the people that we've seen on the Queer Eye reboot, like they're they're not ready to depart that far from their current style. Like they're not ready to like break out of their shell and they never force them to. And they respect like also um, like uh, women of color's relationship to their hair is going to be different than white women's relationship to their hair. So they're going to like factor that in when they're doing the haircuts. Like it's all, yes. you know, it's the opposite of another, this isn't like uh, a fashion show or a makeover show necessarily, but America's Next Top Model, it, it, falls in 
line with a it, it it feels very adjacent to what not to wear um but it's like the complete opposite of those makeovers they'd give to those poor women yeah i think <laughs> i mean is... the hair alone was just yes. like the most traumatic episode every single time i to your point i think what's interesting so a lot of those and it's not just yeah america's next top model but a lot of those shows did not factor into how hair texture would mean you probably want a different stylist. And this is where, again, the Queer Eye reboot, I keep pointing back to it, but like Jonathan Van Ness is the first to say, this is not my truth. I think we should bring in this stylist who specialized in black women text hair texture and will be able to give you the style that you need and give the care and consideration to your hair. And I think it does it very well in that sense. Um, and yeah, I think there was... One thing with what not to wear and any a lot of these shows of the early 2000s is while they were giving people advice, while they would, you know, help people and gaining confidence and liking who they are, no matter how they may look, there was a little bit of this. We're going to have you try to fit into this one bucket or a handful of buckets that you get to choose from. And now there is this embrace of you can be whoever you want to be, but let's just give you a couple of guidelines to help you along the way to ensure that you're the best version of who you want to be. Well, Emily, I think that really is harkening back to your original point, which is like this first round of fashion reality TV shows was more about acceptance. And I think that now they're more about like tolerance and like honoring who you are versus like, yes. ooh, like, yeah, be you, but like less <laughs> because it's yes. too much for current society. So I think that I mean, with the exclusion of Fashion Police, which was more about like thinking critically about style and like what it means to be a celebrity on the red carpet and what your what expectations people have of you which are very different than like if you're if you're gonna be on queer eye or what not to wear the expectation there is a little bit different versus like a celebrity like you have money and resources and all of this stuff at your disposal so like there is a higher expectation for you to look good because you have to embody a fantasy or you have to be extremely aspirational versus a what not to wear a queer eye where like this could be your neighbor that's getting a makeover right or it could be your friend that you submitted like there's a little bit of like I could do it's like um relative aspiration versus like celebrity fashion police aspiration of like this is what I would do if I were Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever like I would wear a totally different dress and style it this totally different way but it's easier to let's say punch up versus like maybe the original what not to wear was like punching down sometimes i still wouldn't say that the original reboot or the original version of queer for this trick i was punching down at all i never really felt like they were putting them down i think they were i think straight guys just they don't have a girlfriend like sometimes they just need help i mean it was put a candle in the apartment like put a get a button down shirt like it was wash your toilet bowl like it was very like yes Yes. like very basic like oh i guess your mom really did do everything for you (laughs) yeah yeah and like the men like the men who were doing the makeovers were also more kind of like safe kind of like one-dimensional like almost caricatures of like fabulous gay men you know so it was like it was that kind of like that's why i said like the ellen variety of the like, sassy gay friend. Yeah, it, yes, exactly. Who comes in for the montage, for the makeover montage, and that's it. It's not like, <laughs> you know, Karamo sitting down and bringing out their childhood trauma. Yes. Yeah, I don't really know if the original – I don't think that was ever the original intent for the no. Queer Eye <laughs> first iteration. I think no. it very much was 
um, you are Robin Williams's uh, gay makeup artist brother in Mrs. Doubtfire and go. Like, if <laughs> that's Harvey like, Firestein. <laughs> thank you. I was like, yeah. I cannot. I'm like completely blanking on this actor's name, but I can hear and see him so clearly in my mind's eye. But I, I mean, but to to be fair, though, to the original Queer Eye cast, a lot of them are the exact same as they always have been. You know, I don't really I think it's not fair to say that they're necessarily like caricatures because Carson Kressley from Queer Eye to currently on Drag Race has not changed at all. He is still the oh, exact same. <laughs> yes. I don't mean sorry. Yeah, I don't mean like they are characters. I just mean it's like that is a very specific type of person. And right. it's like totally fine to be that person. But it's like that is a slim percentage of like the whole you know Mm -hmm. just like queer world but that was like all we would see that was like that's you know will and grace it was like that it was like wealthy white gay men who were like fabulous you know and and, like we love you know we love to see it we love them but like not as the only (laughs) the only ones there was no new yeah there was no nuance to the queer community right it's like if all you thought out there in the queer community were like a bunch of twinks and you met a bear and you're like oh my god what like it was sort of like you gotta ease the straights into it right like and yes. now straights like i mean gyro ready guys wasn't back then there were they were um i'm sure there were bears because uh bear weekend and russian river has like a long storied history so i'm sure there were bears have always been here but um gyro was in, in front bros gyro <laughs> is in bros and in bros they make a really Billy Eichner makes a really funny joke about how, like, it's not funny anymore to be gay because now everybody, like, makes bottom jokes. <laughs> so that's how we've evolved as a society, at least a little bit in, like, some positive of direction. <laughs> I I want to, like, because I think this is a great kind of place in which we can kind of start to conclude the episode and just think, like, for you all, you know, we've talked a whole lot about these different shows. We've talked about how they've evolved over time, uh, what their, you know, reboot counterparts to an extent have looked like. Um, as we're thinking about this, because Queer Eye rebooted, but on a streaming platform, um, a lot of these uh, stars of the first kind of iterations of these shows are now using social media platforms to, you know, bring a snippet of the content they used to bring or, or used to talk about. Do you think some of these newer media channels that we use to consume content are better suited for these shows? So if tomorrow What Not to Wear gets rebooted, is it best served on TLC or is it better on a streaming platform or is it better in short pieces of content that's featured on TikTok or an Instagram reel or something? I'd love to know, like, do you guys think that there is a either, you know, channels that better suit this type of content that we're not exploring as much or are just starting to kind of bubble up? Or is there something that, you know, an opportunity that you think hasn't been served at this point? That was a very long question. So please ask me to, you know, button it up if I need to. Well, no, I I think like, I, I think that there's room for both. And like, we very much crave both. Like there's just certain shows, like if you take like White Lotus, like we don't want that broken up and put on TikTok, you know, and, and even Sister Wives, like I would still watch, sit and watch a full, (laughs) I would sit and watch a full uh, episode of it on TLC, but that I do like broken down and I like people's commentary. And then, you know, it's like the difference between um, just watching it straight up or watching it on online where you do even if someone's not putting their commentary on it you go into the comments you see how people are feeling so I like that we have like the option for two different experiences but I feel like there's not there's not necessarily always going to be like an overlap yeah I think 
unfortunately, with like the oversaturation of streamers, I think that the most impactful way to have this show rebooted or any of them, well, Queer Eye and or uh, What Not to Wear, would be to have it on like a mainstream channel because at the end of the day, it is going to end up on streaming. It is going to get broken up and put on TikTok. Why not put it on a network or broadcast TV channel. That way it can reach more people. I think that the original message of promoting like acceptance and tolerance of other types of lifestyles is like incredibly um, foundational to getting people to see others as human beings instead of like a total threat. Like if they were to reboot What Not to Wear, obviously they wouldn't be able to like keep that title necessarily. Um, but like I would love to see them help style someone that's like transitioning like how to like redo your wardrobe how to do makeup for your face now how to like take care of yourself i would love i think that would do wonders for middle america to have a little bit more of like acceptance and like love in their heart and because like not everybody has hbo so not everyone's gonna watch we're here not everyone's gonna watch a show about drag queens going to a small town and essentially doing tu wong fu every you know couple of episodes so i think that having it on a Bravo, even on like if ABC could nut up and like put it on like a main broadcast, like I think it would change people's lives and people's perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen is gone. She's off primetime daytime TV. We can like fill the void that she left with something better and like up the up the stakes a little bit right like the gayest person on nbc right now is like kelly clarkson like <laughs> in the sense that like gays love her and like everybody can agree that she has a wonderful voice right like that's what i mean like she's she's a yeah. gay icon <laughs> i was like did did i miss it did i miss no you something? did not that was no. just me putting my commentary on it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah i think beloved. yeah yes have kelly clarkson host it for christ's sake she gets people to cry and laugh or drew barrymore who is clearly like <laughs> living some fantasy on her daytime talk show and that until that point it's like all of the best parts end up being broken up into instagram reels and repurposed onto tiktoks anyway give something more space and more context and then let viewers decide what these little snackable bites are or whatever quibby's tagline was um have them repurpose that and put that on the internet and let the show be the show and if somebody wants more context they can find it and watch the full 49 minutes of it or whatever or if they just want to watch 92 clips from this one show they can do that too isn't that the good thing about streaming and internet now totally we can have it all ladies yes. <laughs> ladies check back in because we're getting right? it all we're getting it all uh well before we end for today are there any honorable mentions that we didn't talk about today uh that we uh should be checking out again we should be revisiting i'd love to hear from you both if there's anything that comes to mind and if there isn't that's fine too i i can almost guarantee i'm gonna think of something at like 3 a.m tonight like i i'm like i'm like yeah we've covered it all like i this always happens to me i don't know if this happens to you guys but like as soon as you end the recording you're like wait i had an actual whole other point to make but it is definitely that um joke from you've got mail it's like you're in an argument and you don't have anything to say. And then later that night, you're like, oh, I had all these good comebacks and now I don't have the person to yell at anymore. Sort yeah. of the same. Well, <laughs> I know that we omitted it, Emily, because of the competition aspect of it. But I'd also say Project Runway was formative in my style oh, journey, right? Like, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to like tailoring and understanding fit and sizing and how it's so different for each person also depending on the fabric and all this other stuff so i'd say that project runway was also like 
another good place to um, think about your own style. Because also like <laughs> some some of the designers, you're like, wow, uh, your, your personal style versus like what you make or like the gap could not be wider. <laughs> yes. I think one thing you just like you just made me remember is like, and this is why I love Christian Siriano and why I think he, you know, not only won, but has been the most successful designer was the challenge that came when every people had to design the challenge for real women. Remember, it was always a mm-hmm. challenge every season where there's like designing for a real woman. and All the other contestants would complain like, why can't I just, you know, design for a sample size like I normally do? And it was very interesting to see the only person who really oftentimes took that challenge seriously. The one I remember that comes to mind the most is Christian Siriano. Um, and I think, yeah, that that to me, uh, again, another evolution of where we are as a society was just like building clothes, like nice clothes, not just like, um, you know, a torrid plus size line for a woman who wants to wear like a rockabilly, rockabilly themed, you know, cherries on the dress, but like genuinely offering clothes that fit and are tailored well and were made to suit certain body types. Uh, regardless of price point, regardless of style choices like this, I think that's a great evolution of what's come since this first wave. Um, I went on a tangent there, but feel free to add. (laughs) No, I couldn't agree more. Also, the idea of um, how they put together a collection was always super interesting to me and like the difference between like resort versus spring versus fall and like the things that I think it just gave me an idea of like what I should have in my closet each season, right? Like a light Mm -hmm. coat or a leather jacket for fall and then like um, maybe like a little jacket or something for like spring, summer. And I just I always found that to be really helpful in terms of like understanding fashion, especially if you consume fashion magazines, like all you see is like the the picture, right? And like you don't really have an idea of like what goes into all of the behind the scenes. And I think that Project Runway does a really good job of demystifying a lot of that process. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think this is a great place to kind of end our episode for today. So first off, uh, Emily, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. had a great time. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, Before we end our episode, we'd love to offer you a little space to plug anything. Is there anything you're working on? Obviously, you have a wonderful podcast, but feel free to promote anything you'd like to promote. Um, yeah, I have um, a podcast called It's Become a Whole Thing. Um, if TikTok is still up and running in the US by the time this airs, I have a TikTok. <laughs> also, It's Become a Whole Thing on all platforms. Um, and I, on April 18th, um, I have a book coming out. So it's uh, it's my – I'm calling it my negativity journal. So it's a book of journal prompts that's all about – actually, it's funny you brought up – uh, Margot, that you brought up like arguing, like remembering later, like what you wanted to say to the person. It's a lot of prompts like that. So it's like a Ooh. really fun, silly place to vent all your frustrations. Like, yeah, the opposite of a gratitude journal. So, oh my God. Congratulations on the book. That's that's huge. That's huge. Thanks. Yeah. So our that's... first published author. <laughs> well, I, I, I will be. Yeah, it will be on April 18th. <laughs> Well, I don't know when this comes out, but yeah. Um, It'll come out yeah. um, on Thursday. But Oh, yeah. okay. Great. Yeah. So, so sign up for pre-orders because they matter for authors. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I – yeah. I, I can be like such a shameless self-promo person, but when it comes to this book, I get weird. But yeah, pre-orders are very important for all authors. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yes. Thank oh, thanks you. For, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. This was a blast. And thank you for being our second Canadian 
on the podcast. Bienvenue. <laughs> Merci. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Bonne journée. No. <laughs> well, we want to thank our listeners uh, for continuing to ch- uh, listen to our podcast. Um, obviously, you can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you check out your podcasts. Um, but we are relaunching our Patreon. In fact, we'll be doing that this up uh, this week. So. Um, if you're interested, come join us. We'll have a subscription model as well. So uh, stay tuned on that. We'll be providing more info as we go. Margot, do you have anything else you want to add about that? No, just uh, follow us on Instagram at Old Millennials Pod. If you're interested, it'll have all the details or you can go to our Patreon page, which is pay- patreon.com slash Old Millennials Pod. And there will yes. be like a post up there explaining the different offerings. But essentially, our Patreon is just going to once a month supplemental content. And our first episode is going to be a review of the Titanic miniseries to complement our Titanic Mania episode. And then, yeah, subscriptions will be launching at the same time, which if you don't care about bonus content, but you care about never listening to an ad again, then that's for you. Yeah. Well said. Um, so we'll give you those options and we'll give you more information. Um, as Margot mentioned, we are on social media. So if you want to check us out, we have a Facebook and an Instagram at the Old Millennials Pod. Um, and individually, you can find us both on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Marg She Wrote. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>